Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing! This is the Book Riot Podcast. It's a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. We're recording on Thursday, February 24th, 2022. I'm Jeff O'Neill. She is Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. I just made Rebecca, we, we waited to record the show five minutes because I had dropped a couple of trailers I wanted to see. We haven't done trailer talk in a long time because- It has been a while. There's so many. Yeah. There's so many of these adaptations that we can't we can't hurt all of these cats, but two notable ones um that I think especially are interesting to talk about together. So that's the Pachinko trailer that came out I think yesterday and the Rings of Power first real teaser trailer that happened during the Super Bowl a couple of weeks ago. We'll get that to the later in the show, but um I think it, it's time to start to talk about some trailers. Before we get to that, I think for the first time in a really long time, we don't have any Gumroad, there's no Adaptation Nation, there's Color Purple that Sharif and I just did, but there's not a new one coming out for a while, if at all, under, as he says, under his breath, um, <laughs> as that kind of experiment, or that, that mini run has ended. We had a good time there, but you can go listen to Sharif and I talk about the Color Purple there on the occasion of its 40th anniversary, but we're kind of in a little bit of a, a lull as we do some subscription research. We've got several um, interesting long emails from people about bonus oh. content. I think is, is very interesting. I haven't yet corralled them all to tell um, and share with Rebecca I yet, but that. a lot of people have ideas. Um, and I would say, you know, there's no consensus yet, which is interesting. Okay. It'd, it'd be mm-hmm. one thing if everyone was kind of on the same wavelength, but people want different things. And um, I want more. I want less. I don't think I would. I definitely think I would do it. I want this thing versus that thing. So a lot okay. of... Um, disparate, not desperate, disparate kinds of ideas, which makes it interesting, if not clarifying. Mm -hmm. But as you, as you are, you all, you too can be disparate, um, even as you are desperate or not, and send us an email podcast at bookriot.com. I think we're going to do something sooner rather than later. And I don't know what that means exactly, but you're not going to be waiting around to the fall, but probably this late spring or early summer, we're going to try something. I'm excited too. Um, but let's do a sponsor break, and we're going to do some news stories before we get into Frontless Corner and a, a visit to the, the trailers. Explode your to-be-read pile with The New Release Index, your new best friend for finding the best new books. Curated by the book nerds here at Book Riot, it will help you keep track of the upcoming books we think should be on your radar. You can filter by genre, what's trending among other subscribers, and save books to your own watch list. And you can check out the demo at bookriot.com slash new releases. That's bookriot.com slash new releases. Happy browsing. I saw this headline fly by, or it's not really a headline, but this story fly by in my New York Times reading, um, mm-hmm. but I didn't capture it here. I'm glad that you did. So this is from the Times. Um, your little synopsis is novelist struggling with how to write about COVID and wondering where you know, you are, we are, listeners are about this. We were watching, let's see, with my family last night, 
Um, oh, one of the Spider-Man movies, because we're waiting for mm-hmm. a, the, the most recent one to come out on digital release. And my kids hadn't seen some of the older Spider-Man ones, so we kind of made a thing out of it. And there's a, you know, there's a high school scene where they're all in this giant, crowded high school, and my kids are just like, it's so weird to watch them without masks, right? Uh-huh. And that's kind of the opposite of this. It's like, is there a, ro- is there, is there a right way or wrong way to... It's going to feel weird either way. Is there a way out of this? Is there a right way to do it? So I don't know. Rebecca, where are you at this point? Or anything? I, I'm not really going to reference the article here. I'll put it in the show notes as always. Yeah. I'm more interested in what we want to say about it. Than yes, anything. that's what I'm most interested in too. Like the, the piece, which is by Alexandra Alter in The Times, talks about several novels that have come out already and several more that are coming up that have addressed COVID in some capacity, really through the lens of like, if you're writing literary fiction or you know contemporary fiction that's grounded in reality if you're going to set it between 2020 and at least 2022 you're going to have to talk about covid in some way you'll you'll have to acknowledge it like i don't think it can be elided in the way that tv has i think largely Mm. decided to just pretend that covid never happened at least everything i'm watching on tv either doesn't refer to it at all or like it existed for two weeks and then people got vaccinated and now we're not talking about it anymore which frankly is fine i personally don't want to watch a bunch of tv shows where everybody is like sitting in masks feeling all of the things that we've been feeling Mm -hmm. for the last two years um i'm i think i'm not ready to read the big covid novel yet like i think it takes time and distance from a cultural or in this case, like real global moment to get really good fiction that is specifically about that thing. Like Mm. one of my recent, I guess the most available recent-ish example would be, it was like 2012, 2014-ish before we started getting like what I thought was really good fiction with perspective about the 2008 financial crash. Mm. And I, I'm waiting for that moment, I think. Like, there, the kind of reader I am, there will be a moment where I'm ready to just, like, okay, let's examine this thing that happened to us all through the lens of fiction. But I have read a couple of books that incorporated it. You know, we read this sentence by Louise Erdrich at the end of the year last year, and she has, you know, early COVID stuff happens in that book, but the book is not about COVID. I read and really loved Our Country Friends by Gary Steingart, mm-hmm. which... This setup is that, you know, COVID has started and the main character of the book has this kind of compound in upstate New York. And he and his wife and some of their friends who are artists and tech people are all living on the compound with each other. But it's mostly about the weird stuff that happens between this group of friends living in this contained space with each other and very little about like COVID itself. And those were cases where like, I was in the hands of a really good writer that I trusted, who was emotionally honest about those things. And I thought that they rang the bells of like, yes, I recognize that feeling or yes, I recognize like, I remember that moment where we were all worried about this particular part of it without it being the whole point. And I think mm-hmm. that's where I am right now is I can, I, I'm ready for some fiction that acknowledges this as a, a part of the world. I feel like we're still in the middle of it so much that I'm not ready yet for the big COVID novel. What about you? It's interesting. I think the sentence is a good example um, of, I guess, the choices you have available to you. Because it's still possible to write a book. If you want to write something that is sort of set in the general 2017 to 2023 time period, you could plausibly set it and write it in such a way that it's not clear when in that it's happening so Mm -hmm. that you can do COVID or not, right? So with the sentence... 
it was both about COVID, but also was about um, Black Lives Matter protests and some other stuff that actually went on. So if you, you're pinned to a specific doc, or you know moment in time, historical or event and date that is around in and around COVID, then you have to include it. Otherwise, you're just cheating, right? And I'm right. not going to buy that, right? So, but for an example, you could do a version of. Oh, I'm trying to think of well, some of the novels I read recently, Black Cake. It's kind of set now, but also isn't, right? I mean, yeah. it's set now-ish. And if it's going to be set now-ish, it doesn't have to do COVID. Um, I think the other thing is if you do it during COVID from a, a fictional perspective, it's not as jarring as on screen when people cover up their faces. And not for That's nothing, true. on screens, actors' faces are like 90% of the game, it seems to me, 80% of the game, where you can mention people are wearing masks in a book and then kind of forget or it doesn't get in the way all of the time. Mm-hmm. So the the mediums themselves have some interesting questions. I'm also not sure what COVID stories are interesting. I mean, it's one of the features of it for a lot of us. Maybe the median experience is a certain banal dread, Um which is not the stuff of fiction, generally speaking. That could be essay or memoir or poetry, but in terms of plot, I can see plot of like um, you're in a particular hospital, particular time. I'm picking and choosing. I have a list of books that I have my eye on for like the race to the vaccine. There's a bunch of those coming out. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of interested in the early days of identifying it when there's like action-y kinds of things. But if you're writing a story about COVID that's said and say, oh, I'm just going to pick a number, you know, we've got 24 months-ish to pick from. In the summer of 2020, what's the interesting story there? I mean, maybe you're yeah. doing a Jenny Awful. I would read a Jenny <laughs> Awful sort of like this is how I, this is how I am capturing. Or we did was Zadie, right? I think Zadie was the right thing. I'm trying to capture this weird, yeah, I think non-plot experience, and I'm not sure fiction is the right way to do that. Yeah, I think fiction-wise, Jenny Awful is really about the only place I want to be if I have to do fiction about right. it, like. COVID, especially early COVID, offered a bunch of moments that were and experiences that were similar to the what we have affectionately dubbed the slobber frog phenomenon yes, in right. the Jenny Awful novels. Um, I'm I'm down with that. Nonfiction wise, I think I've been a little bit more open. We we mm. both did the Zadie Smith like pretty early in COVID. Mm. I think that was the first nonfiction book I read about it. I've read the Michael Lewis premonition um, about the CDC. I've also got my eye on some of those vaccine books. I think I'll be ready for that and for more of it in nonfiction than fiction wise. And then one interesting example that I just remembered while you were talking is I read Tiffany Yannick's new novel Monster in Mm. the Middle last year. And I believe she had started writing it before COVID happened, and then it was going to come out in the middle of COVID. And sort of like near the end of the story, COVID starts, and the characters have some experiences. Like it was intended for the characters to be participating in some of the Black Lives Matter marches. And then those began to overlap with Mm. COVID. Um, And or there was no way to talk about the Black Lives Matter marches that were happening because of George Floyd's murder. And May of 2020 without talking about COVID. And so then she, I think, I think I read an interview with her where she was talking about figuring out how to incorporate it, like, just enough to acknowledge that, like, right, I'm trying to tell a story about life in New York in May of 2020. So I have mm-hmm. to acknowledge COVID, but I don't want it to be about COVID. And I thought she handled that 
relatively, you know, re- as well as you can handle something when it's still that fresh. Um, but I'm really curious. I, I understand why people who are driven to make art as their way of processing experience are going to want to write about this and make yeah. movies about it and do all of the things. I'm really curious from the consumer's end, from readers' end, is this stuff you want to be reading books about? I think the other thing that um, I'm not giving artists enough credit for in the moment, which is what kinds of stories came out of COVID that wouldn't have without COVID? You know, it's like mm. the World War II phenomenon. Like, you don't really read novels set in 1944 that aren't about World War II or acknowledge right. it, right? right. B- but there's a lot of nooks and crannies uh, against the grand map of h- huge world events where there's a love story or people got quarantined together. We're seeing these in like sure. these modern love mm. kind of like ways on the New York Times or here's this weird phenomenon or... I think we might find some way of telling a story that that employs the specific conditions of COVID, but then it's not about COVID. It's just that that through a particular texture or a particular shape of a story, relationships, mm-hmm. the unfolding of an event into a relief that wasn't possible. That's maybe what's interesting. I don't want to, yeah. I don't want the COVID story that's familiar. Like I don't want Nick Cage's World Trade Center. Right. Remember that movie? <laughs> right. That was yes. like that was, was on the news, and it's like a dramatization of what we saw on CNN. I'm really I wasn't interested in that then, and I'm not interested yeah. in that now. Of like a, a dramatization of something familiar and known. What don't I know? What t- yeah. what flavors of experience through this were people having? That either shows me an experience I had in, in a new light or a different light, but also acknowledges that some other thing was going on that I didn't have any, any access to. Yeah, that's. I think that's exactly what Steingart did with our country Mm. friends. Like you could have set a novel, just it's a group of friends hanging out on somebody's compound in upstate New York, but it ratchets up the stakes that they're all there because this pandemic is happening. They have to be there or they have to be somewhere. And so they're, you know, they get there. They're all staying in separate little mini uh, miniature houses. They're all staying in separate like little, uh, kind of tiny house cottage cottages cottages yeah cottages is the word i'm looking for a cottage little tiny tiny houses but not a tiny house but a little (laughs) miniature not a mini pony just a right not a little horse it's not little sebastian there you go all right Uh, yes they're all in cottages there you go Uh, and they're quarantining before they can come out and hang out Mm. with each other and then there's a like what if someone gets exposed how will we know what if like one of the characters is immunocompromised in some way what if he gets sick what if somebody else gets sick like the emotional tone of the interactions that they have with each other is dialed way up because they're not just all there together they like can't really leave and everyone is terrified of this thing that was brand new in the world and that we don't understand and it it does give a lot of shape to their interactions in a way that like i would read the novel that's just oh the gang gets back together and they all stay in tiny houses Mm -hmm. but the framework of um of what covid did to the the tone of those interactions made a big difference to what that novel was so that's about them, but set against COVID. That's what I'm talking mm-hmm. about. There's going to yeah, be interesting yeah. ways to do that. And we're, I'm sure we're going to get the bougie prestige anthology series, right? That's like um, modern, the Tina Fey, whatever, modern love oh, anthology, yeah, which yeah. I really mm-hmm. liked, yeah. actually. But it is a, its own particular thing. You can see one of those, or like those, like those, um, what were, there was a fad for these. They were called like Valentine's Day. You remember that these anthology oh, yes. mini so stories? Just like, are, the like ensemble yeah. situation. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, ensemble, extremely vanilla, palatable, palatable, pre-chewed, emotionally speaking, 
you can see those that are like, here's a violinist on a balcony in Italy. And, you know, you can see, mm-hmm. I don't want that. I, I don't, I don't want that. But give me, show me something true um, using these historical moments that we didn't have access to before. Yeah. And I'll be into it. Like, like most things, if it's good, it doesn't matter. Right. You know? Right. So. Speaking of it, if it, it doesn't matter if it's good. Britney Spears' <laughs> memoir. Um, First of all, million bones for uh, wow. Yeah. First for, of all, I refuse it. to accept the possibility that it won't be good. <laughs> well, we have a floating vector along which to evaluate this kind of book. Is it's juiciness is the factor, right? Is, is it yeah, juicy? Well, this isn't going to be a beautifully written prose document, Rebecca. Shinsky. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm assuming you. she's going to have a co-writer because that's yeah. But how what's he's... the best? Well, how what? There's a ceiling on that, though. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not I don't be need Britney... for Hawk said in the '90s <laughs> pop world, which <laughs> right. I would read the now, shit out. Of, the experiment the in which Helen McDonald is Britney Spears's ghostwriter is one that I'm. Or, or what if Britney Spears just happens to be like an un- underworldly <laughs> sentence maker? That would be incredible stuff. <laughs> it would be. You know, I for me, I, I think I'm looking for a little bit more than is it juicy. Um, the Jessica Simpson and Mariah Carey both had memoirs out in the last couple of years that I listened to and was really impressed. Like, not on they wrote gorgeous sentences, but really impressed that it was not just like these are salacious stories from my life or the like tell, n- not the, just the juicy tell all things, but mm. they really zoomed out and looked at... I think the kinds of systemic things about being a celebrity and systemic things about being a young woman in the world of pop music that Britney Spears is even more in a position to address Mm. because of the level that she rose to and all of the circumstances surrounding her. And they, they said really brave things. I was just really impressed with the Jessica Simpson one of like, okay, this is a person who has spent a lot of time processing this unique and really difficult experience that she had that's unlike things that most of us experience because we're not celebrities and how she makes sense of it, how she sort of processed who to be angry at and why, what was the system and what was individual people participating in ways that were damaging to her. I think there's a way that it can be enjoyable to read and juicy, but also serving a higher purpose. And I think that's what I'm looking for slash expecting based on these last couple of years of what we've seen from Britney Spears. I think that's fair. I think the the celebrity memoir is different than it was 15, 20 years ago, for sure. The table stakes are different. And I, I guess mm-hmm. maybe you're hearing jadedness in my voice that there's now a a new formula. And you're using the, the exactly the right examples, the Jessica Simpsons, the Mariah Carey's, the Will Smith, I think, is the newest kind of oh, example yeah. mm-hmm. of this, right? Where he, he went on this like sort of like emotionally, awkwardly open TMI publicity tour. I, I just don't need to know about the openness of his and Jada's. I just, I don't know. I, I, I don't even want to see the headline. It's just too much, right? And so this new, and maybe it's because I've got the Klosterman in the back of my head talking about, mm. you know, Oprah, how this was a new way of intera- celebrities interacting with the world of like, yes, either real or performative or somewhere in the middle vulnerability and letting people in and telling people the, the war, kind of, let's call it warts and all. Right, the warts and all version of this. Okay, I kind of feel like I know what it's going to be. Now, Brittany might be the most extreme version of this because she's got like shaven head video footage out there. You know, who else are you going to pick from the 90s that has this much perspective, but also like whose body, I mean, Pamela Anderson, I guess is the example. Yeah. It's out in the ether now too, but whose body was 
on display, exploited, performed, commoditized, mm -hmm. and then put through the ringer. And like the thing about that's so interesting about Spears is like her relationship to the legal state is a fascinating yeah. thing we haven't seen before. So there's a lot to lay out. H try this on for size. Is this the end point of this variety of memoir? Where else are you going to go? This might be kind of a I think nadir this is like or a zenith, depending on who you're talking to, I think of it's, this kind it, of a memoir. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think possibly maybe the apex of like, if it's good and does the things, it could be the yeah. apex of it. And the utility really in specifically the Jessica Simpson and Mariah Carey ones, and I think what I'm hoping for from Britney Spears is not just the celebrity demonstrating the vulnerability thing, because that is like, we know what that looks like now, yeah. you know, like, let me tell you about myself so that you will buy my book and let me perform this vulnerability. But the ones that invite or push readers, viewers, consumers to examine their own participation in the thing. You know, like mm -hmm. I was a teenager when Britney Spears and Jessica Simpson were coming up. Like in some ways, those messages were fed to me by the culture. And in other ways, I participated in furthering them. And uh, all of us who listened to that music or watched MTV or whatever did. Certainly people who were adults at the time are much more responsible for those choices than those of us who were like yeah. 12. But that's, I think that is the way that I would like to see this conversation around celebrity develop um and britney spears is in a, a position not like anybody else's to say yeah. let's all look at this so i would like to see her go that way it's hard to imagine who else could come out and talk about that in the same way i think you're right and the size of the book deal points to that 15 million bones as you were saying for for one memoir like i went and looked the next I, I highest Obama, the, the 60 well, million for five books from the Obama. Yeah, it, so like, it doesn't I parse think, out on a book. This is higher than that on a single book basis. Yeah. And I think like celebrity memoirs are different from presidential politician memoirs. Oh, like that's, yeah, I, sure. I, yeah. I was thinking of those as different things. So when I was looking at other other people, Bruce Springsteen got 10 million mm. for his, which was the highest I could find. Mm. Amy Schumer got 9 million. Keith Richards got seven point three. I can't. Imagine I, I mean, I doubt it. Nine million earned out. <laughs> yeah, I doubt it. But she got nine million. Whoa, uh, get that Keith bag, Richards. Girl. Keith Richards got seven point three. Tina Fey got six million for Bossy Pants, which was like a decade ago. And that sold. People yeah, read that. that. I mean, I I don't know what the high side they were expecting, but I feel like that maybe overperformed my expectation. You got to sell mm -hmm. a lot of copies to earn this back because it's going to take a, there's going to be promotions and advertising and everything else. You know, I think the other thing that I'm not interested in celebrity, I'm just, I'm not going to read this. I haven't read any of these celebrity books that you're talking about. And that's, that's not highbrow, lowbrow. I just don't care. Yeah. It's just not your bag. Um, not my bag. I think what would be exciting, interesting now is someone who is at the height of their whatever doing an expose. Cause there's a something mm -hmm. about I'm 20 years on now, you need that perspective and you need a financial safety. I get it. But like, I mean, what's Billie Eilish's expose like look Ariana like right Grande, now? Yeah. Or, or Adele. Like these really Ed Sheeran. Like I'm talking, you know, insanely Beyonce's tell-all right now. Mm. Like at the height when you're in the middle of it and it's not about something that happened 20 years ago. It's about stuff that's going on right now. I think that is something we haven't really seen. Um, is to someone use the my cue or you know my my uh whatever my rate to do a Pepsi commercial is as high as it's ever going to be 
And this is where I, I, I lay this stuff before you and really mm-hmm. turn this stuff around. Because you get that with something like She Said, but that's a reporter doing that. Paltrow right. didn't write that book. Think if, Paul, this, if, think if She Said was Paltrow's tell-all. That would have been mm. amazing. That would have been it's amazing. A, that's a lot to ask. And I don't, I'm not saying anyone should or shouldn't do this. I'm just saying this is a different thing than 20 years retrospective of something that happened to me, yeah. what, 30 years ago now? I mean, I'm not even sure. In the 96 was hit me one more time. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's been a long time. So there's a certain so historical long. historical element to it. And what does that say about what's going on now? Probably nothing. Probably nothing. Or not much. It's different now. And what does that yeah. look like? Maybe I'd be... Because like, I'm interested in She Said. I was interested in that in, in a lot of oh, ways, yeah. a celebrity tell-all in its own way. Um, just from a... Speaking of, I'm looking for the trailer for that. It, one of these days, we're going to get the Ooh, She yes. Said trailer. It's coming soon. Speaking of, let's take exciting. a break and then do trailers. Okay. Previous exist... Let, let's... Where, uh, I don't even know this. Did you see all the original or original, the, the yes. Lord of the Rings stuff? You've done all those. The I Hobbits did. and mm-hmm. all of them? You've done all yep, of them. Yep, yep. Okay. The whole thing. Mm-hmm. So let's start there because... This is the bigger one. So this is a, the um, somewhat tautologically named Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power, um, which is Amazon's, I don't know what you want to call this, a project overlord for intellectual IP. <laughs> yes. Um, where, so that's as fair as any description. I mean, what else could it be? What They dropped a billion dollars on the rights alone, is my understanding. Uh-huh. We covered this, what, four years ago now when this happened? And yeah. now you watch the trailer. There'll be a link in the show notes if you haven't seen already. The teaser dropped during the Super Bowl. It looks like they spent at least that on making the thing and then the marketing mm-hmm. of the thing. So we're talking a multi-billion dollar commitment out of Amazon for one of the top five IP franchises in the world. And this is what they've done with it, Rebecca Shinsky. What to say about the trailer? <laughs> This is, I think, it. your note here says Rings of Power looks like Rings of Power. <laughs> and that's about where I landed. I have a lot of affection for As do I. the Lord. Yeah, for the Lord of the Rings books and the movies. I had good experiences with those, both just as pieces of art. And then also like my dad and I have a lot of... Uh, you know connection around those mm-hmm. books from when I was a kid and it was fun to go see them with him and I was really impressed when we got the DVDs and I got to see how all of the creatures were made and all the special effects and all that stuff um th- it feels to me like a thing that was a big deal 20 years ago that has not continued to be a big deal like a couple year- a couple weeks ago on this show we were talking about like well, when we were talking about Gone Girl, and I was like, I didn't remember mm. so much of Gone Girl. I've read like a thousand books since I first read Gone Girl. Right. Like, I've seen a lot of movies since I saw The Lord of the Rings 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell if this is like, if I'm just blinded my, by my idiosyncratic interactions with these, but I'm having a really hard time believing that it's going to be worth it for Amazon to have spent billions of dollars on this. Like with all the other new and interesting and wonderful TV that's out there and all the stories that we've seen and the ways of storytelling that we've seen since Lord of the Rings came out, you know, we, we've had all of Game of Thrones and then there's been a whole bunch of other stuff. Are people really interested and excited for it like if you want more of 
J.R.R. Tolkien, you're going to get it from this. It's that world. It's that kind of character. It looks like more of the same. I just don't I just don't know if people want more of that. I don't I don't either. I think it's one of those. It's, this is the big open question. And, and maybe they did. I hope for this kind of cabbage that they they spent on this, they did market research and polls and some sort of sense of what anticipation would look like. But theoretically, I should be, you know, within the inner circle, you know, uh, you know, the bullseye, you know, they mm-hmm. shoot stuff. Um, I, I may not be the middle, but I'm close. I'm like the yellow ring. You know, I, I read the books. I'm an I'm a book nerd. I have great affection, especially for the Lord of the Rings series, the Hobbit ones. Mm-hmm. I could take or leave. Um, to be honest with you. And I like streaming services and will probably watch this. My shoulders aren't up or back or down or anything. I'm just like, this is, looks like, it looks like it was going to look like. Yeah. Like, I mean, just yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't look surprising to me at all. Again, I don't know any of these characters, but it looks kind of like if you kind of shook up the casting from the Lord of the Rings and said, here's some very small derivations of what that looked like. Maybe that's people want. I guess what I'm super interested. I'm thinking about this too in terms of interest because like there's been a thousand books in between. It's pretty interesting. You look at the thriving IP that's out there right now. People don't go on a 20 year hiatus and then yeah. put the defibrillator on, right? We saw this. We're, now we're going to try to see this happen. But like with Star Wars, when Phantom Menace came out in 90, 98, I think that was. It had been only 13 years, which sounds wild to say, but it's been longer than that since the last Lord of the Rings movies came out. Yeah, it's... And that didn't go great. Like, the the cultural memory of the prequels, Star Wars prequels, and there was as much hype there. Klosterman mm-hmm. talked about the 90s. He talked about people yep. that went to go to the movies just to see the trailer. My friend Bryce and I did that three times. We paid for a movie <laughs> ticket just to see the trailer because you couldn't see it online back then. Right. Like... That that certainly isn't there. And even with that wattage, people were like, this isn't any good. And Star Wars is still trying to figure that out. Game of Thrones is a hiatus. Um, the thing that Marvel has done, and I think the one you have to look to is they started, they built, and now that is just a con. There is no break. There's no pause. There's no chance for you to stop being interested or forget that Marvel is a thing. because And Star Wars is now picking up us too because we've got these streaming series. I think this is going to be a tough act. Now, I think the difference here is that of the IP that's out there, this is global. Mm-hmm. Eastern Europe, Asia, Africa, South America. Amazon, in its press release, was very careful to talk about how many countries simultaneously were going to get this. So this is a global... Amazon has this sort of global reach that, really, frankly, Disney Plus doesn't have. Apple TV doesn't really have. Any given, you know, the Peacocks, Paramounts of the world, real only Netflix and Amazon have mm-hmm. the kind of footprint where they can they can drop it and say Portugal and um, the Maldives and everywhere all at once and have it all ready to go. So maybe if the wattage is low in in every given jurisdiction, even if you have a lot of little light bulbs can still put off some light, I guess, yeah, is I another way of that's thinking a- about it. That's a good point. Like a small percentage of a really large number is yes. still a big number. And yeah. I think that it's possible that that might happen with it. This feels to me, though, like they kind of haven't paid attention to all the ways that streamers have changed what TV and movies look like. Um, that like just different kinds of storytelling is happening. And I think Marvel provides a really great example because 
you're right. They are not providing any, there's no break. If you want Marvel mm-hmm. content, you just keep going and there's always something new. But there's also always a, at least one familiar character as yeah, they build out right. those worlds. You know, it's like, oh, you liked Wanda and Vision. And so here you like them in the movies, but here's a whole series about them. And FYI, it's going to build out other elements of the story. Or here's right. Loki or, you know, here's Captain uh, Winter Soldier and, and Falcon. Um, all those other you're not so you're not hyped that, for young Galadriel, two thousand year younger Galadriel, Rebecca. You're not hyped for personally. That? That's not my journey. You could still cast Kate Blanchett. She looks the same. Honestly, Kate Blanchett in everything would make me like ninety percent more likely mm-hmm. to watch anything. <laughs> but, yeah, I think that's a good point. That like what you've got some of the iconography to hold on to, but is that an is like hairy feet on different human ponies <laughs> supposed to get you like, excited i, I don't, yeah, I don't like, see it i think it matters that the hairy feet were on sam and frodo mm-hmm. and it's not just like different hobbits which i think this feels kind of similar to what we've seen with like the spinning out of the jk rowling universe yeah. that like if you had a lot of affection for the world of harry potter and for those original characters and all caveats here for what we know now about yes. jk rowling yes, and yes, transphobia yes. but if you had a lot of affection for those original properties and those those characters like is the whatever whatever incredible beasts and where to find them actually going to ring your bells Pro- like no i understand why they want to build out more stories yeah. in that universe but it seems to me to miss the point it's not necessarily the world that the fans want to be in it's just like the specific characters that they're attached to within that world and just dropping you into like well here's some more middle earth Mm-hmm. Go to town feels like it, it misses that point to me. And maybe it's enough that I will watch that and I'll probably have a good time. Like I watch Wheel mm-hmm. of Time. I'm not talking to everybody about it. I'm not like, you know, on the forums um, getting into <laughs> oh it or God. whatever. The day that's that my you're on the forums for yeah. anything is going to be shocking to And me. maybe it's enough that me and the kids will watch it and, and like it. Maybe maybe low wattage is enough. Like what does success look like for them? For This is a fascinating mm-hmm. question. Um, and they'll never it's interesting. tell us. They, they didn't bump up the prime subscription fee recently of like 20 bucks a year so just keep you with that prime membership the metrics are so different than even now after doing this for a while it's so hard to know um what looks like sex like a success because we don't have ratings or box office or ad dollars or anything like them and netflix and and disney plus have their own secret formula um Mm -hmm. i might i'm interested in I, this is a joke. I've called five out of the last seven recessions for adaptations of Gold Rush, <laughs> like the old joke they say about economists. Uh-huh. I might be ready. I want to watch. I, I think if this isn't it, I don't know what is. Where do we go from here um, in terms of peak adaptation? And a mm-hmm. dollar per value provided to people were prequel, 2,000 years, 2,000 year prequels for Lord of the Rings for $2 billion, Rebecca. <laughs> feels like a winner's curse you know what i'm talking about uh-huh so anyway uh let's do pachinko you don't know this book except that you want to read it yep it's uh min Jin lee's 2017 multi-generational family saga set in korea and japan i talked about this on the show before i think in one of my favorite books i mm-hmm. read last year but it was a backlist title beautiful um, restrained, takes me to a place I've never been before. One way of thinking about it, again, for me, is that it's kind of like if The Godfather was about a mi- one of Sonny Corleone's mistresses, and it was set in South Korea. Okay. So it's like tangentially rated for this big like crime lord story, 
but these are just the other people involved in it and what they do and their struggles. Um, it's, and again, this is not a part of the world and a part of history I know a lot about, but it is wonderfully, beautifully, emotionally delicate and powerful. And I think this is as exciting of a trailer as I could have gotten mm-hmm. for this particular show. So you've bought the book. You've had it on your radar because all of us dummies like me have been talking about it. But you're above it all. You're too cool for school <laughs> no, when stuff like this stuff not happens. The case with and now you're regretting it and saying, "Darn it, Rebecca! If only I'd been more like Jeff and got on this before." <laughs> I, I would mean, be happy every with my day I take a moment to think about the ways in which I could be more yeah, like. You're like, you. I got to get on those Galadriel um, forums real quick. I know Jeff's. <laughs> I know Jeff's shit posting over there. That is just a whole image I was unprepared yeah. to have today. Um, I just missed Pachinko. The thing that happened it to Pachinko does, with happens, me was, man, you know, I like know. I didn't read it before it was a really big deal. And then it was the biggest deal. And I can't read things in that moment. And I knew I would get to it at some point. And then like, I, like I was sold from giant multi-generational family saga like that's extremely my bag um so i knew i was going to read it at some point and i've just kind of been waiting for the day that i would see it on my bookshelf and be like oh now is the time Mm. and then i saw a couple weeks ago that it was coming out on apple in march and i was like oh well the the time approacheth so i'm going to read this in the next couple of weeks this looks gorgeous i was going to you know read it and watch it anyway but i am freshly i have fresh confidence in Apple for prestige TV. Like, yeah, I, you're on the severance co- train. You were just saying. I am. I'm deep on the severance train. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was I was thinking about it. Like, you know, they had Ted Lasso. They had Dickinson. They've had several series that I've enjoyed. But I don't think I have seen real like prestige television from Apple until severance started last week with Adam Scott. And those first two episodes blew my hair all the way back. I'm ready to watch the rest of them. But it's just a a story that's huge in scope and has a lot of little details, a lot of subtlety. They have the money of Apple behind them to do really beautiful things. It looks it looks amazing. It's it's as beautiful of a historical fiction adaptation that I I can't think like, of the... again I don't know you don't see the whole thing and trailers are trailers and they're a beautiful art form and they're, they're meant to make me feel this mm-hmm. way but just looking at the quality of the production mm-hmm. design that's not people shooting lasers out of their eyes or you know <laughs> hobbit feats and magic right. ring stuff like you don't see this you're not seeing this right now you're just not yeah it's gorgeous the the score on the trailer mm-hmm. made me feel things you know I have a I think I have a better sense having seen the trailer of what to expect from the emotional tone of the book when I get to it. And I'm very excited. I'm very much looking forward to it more than I just extra now because of how much faith severance has given me in Apple's ability to do something really big and gorgeous and ambitious storytelling. Because they're not releasing as much as the Netflixes of the world. I would say that for me, Apple is getting a little asterisk for me for attention because the mm. hit ratio is pretty good because there's not that yeah. many and they don't skimp. They, they just, I mean, That's foundation, true. I had big problems with that. I didn't even finish the, the episode. But writing the check was not one of them. And I guess that's what you want from a studio, especially in these gold rush times. They'll pick a spot and they'll give what looks like pre- or franchise IP dollars to a upmarket literary fiction title that's going to be very subtitle forward to be honest mm-hmm. with you a lot of money and the shine that 
this story can can take. It's coming out March 25th. I don't know. Some of the Apple stuff recently has been doing, you get three episodes then weekly, which I think is my yeah. favorite way of doing this. I get to enough to chew on and get excited and hungry for the rest mm-hmm. of the meal, um, but without gorging on it all at once. So that's more about me than anything else and my own <laughs> lack of uh, restraint. I mean, look, the forums, they, they, if you're going to keep up with the forums, you got to watch the whole thing, is what I'm saying. Um, yeah, beginning. I think it's... That's also my favorite way of getting a story rolled out, two or three to get me hooked and then yeah. having to wait a week and process and not plow through. I like not having the option to plow through yeah. a story that wants you to spend time living in it and thinking about mm-hmm. it. Like, you know, it would have been a travesty for Station Eleven to all come out on one Saturday. <laughs> and and I continue to think that it was a really interesting choice for Amazon to release all of the Underground Railroad at the same time, because that really, you needed to pace yourself through those. It took me months to watch that. I feel like we're coming around because um, HBO and then Amazon Wheel of Time, which was after Underground Railroad, but not long after, did I think two episodes and then weekly. Mm -hmm. So it feels like people have figured out that this is a, Netflix is a holdout um, in, in this regard. So we'll see. Uh, let's do Frontless Corner next week. Two quick news stories. Um, you put two in here about challenge books having been returned to shelves in Washington State. Yes. Not going to talk too much about it here, but we want to you know, um, put one on the board for the good guys for that. And then one last thing that's a little bit, um, I guess, more publishing, publishing technology, kind of a, a classic BR Pod kind of a story. Plus, it has two of the BR Pod protagonists, or at least main characters <laughs> over the year. Um, Dolly Parterson. Um, this is my portmanteau I've just come up uh-huh. with. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Run, Ruby, Run is this collab between Dolly and Jimmy Pat. And this col- this Patterson machine has now moved on from sucking up ghostwriters in, in, in sort of known name or underknown, let's put it this way, author and be fair to people who are doing this for a living, no, sh- no shade, to the Clintons of the world, to the Mike <laughs> Lupicas of the world, to the Dolly Partons of the world. And now we're now the Borg is getting bigger because they're trying. Let me say this: if you have to call your thing an experience, it's probably not good. This has been my long. My, if you have to say it's a blank I experience, this unless yeah. you're Jimi Hendrix, calm down <laughs> with calling something a something experience. They're saying this is an audiobook experience on Spotify. It's a version of the book that has some more songs and other stuff. Now, call me a hypocrite. That's fine. I'm okay. I contain multitudes. When we're talking about heartbreak, right? I, I want some more design that, yeah. and everything. I haven't listened to this. I'm not going to read this book, let's be well, honest, or listen to it. I feel like I do not want an audiobook experience in quotation yeah, marks, Rebecca. How, I, how much of a, curm- on a, on my curmudgeon scale, where am I? I think that's right. I think experience in this capacity is often like lipstick on the pig. Yeah, and we don't know what I else to don't... call this cyborg so let's call it <laughs> right and i've actually heard some positive things about this book um from folks hmm. around book riot they're like i read the first chapter of the dolly parton james patterson book and it was pretty fun like which I, there's a greater likelihood of me reading this than of me reading any other james patterson book you don't want because, mike luke patterson's horsewoman sure not don't into that? you know but okay. dolly parton is compelling for me and I think it's meaningful. Heartbreak was the uh, example that I was thinking of also that like heartbreak is not being 
marketed as an audio experience, even though it it is. It's a different yeah. it's a different kind of audio book than most of us have experienced. It's put together in a way with elements that enhance it. This feels like remember when enhanced ebooks were the thing and it was like we have enhanced it with a bunch of stuff you never wanted? Like mm-hmm. does this do you need songs mixed in with your Dolly Parton James Patterson thriller? And if so, why? Is, like, is are we distracting from some element of the book by like, here's Dolly Parton, enjoy? Um, yeah, I, this is not for me. Go with God if it's for you. <laughs> but like, this is not the direction I want my reading experience. But to Rebecca, go either. imagine the songwriting songwriting prowess of country icon, <laughs> country icon Dolly Parton combined with the skillful storytelling of best-selling author James Patterson, all rolled into. You oh, here's what? another one: audio sandwiched between unique and experience. There we here's, go. But here's my hot take. Dolly mm. Parton was already a better storyteller than James Patterson. So why does well, she need him? Well, you know, a few few billion dollars in publishing royalties, you know, <laughs> counts for something. They're calling it a book cast. So we've no. got experience, we got portmanteaus. No. Let's call this I'm rejecting a, let's this. call this a high quality audiobook because it sounds and it's, maybe the the lead is buried here. This is an audiobook version of a giant title available for free exclusively on Spotify. That, to me, is the most interesting thing. And yes. it's episodic. So and you can take all this bookcast, skillful prowess. It's a podcast. Out. No, it's an audiobook. If it's episodic, it's a podcast. It's a serialized audio. You know what? They're right. I stand corrected. It's a unique <laughs> audio experience. The ad wizards win again. <laughs> this has the flavor of... Mm-hmm doth publicize too much to me like if this were that great you wouldn't need to push it that hard (laughs) do you think it's a coincidence that chief content and advertising officer said this unique audio experience in in the (laughs) quote that i'm sure was off the cuff commitment to partnering with exceptional creative talent on new innovative formats no i don't think that's a coincidence I mean, the, the, I mean, it's a little bit of like autofiction, right? It's like an aspiring female musician who goes to the country music capital, pursuit her dreams. Wasn't that the, the like that's Wildflower by Dolly Parton in a nutshell? Mm-hmm. Like the song, it's kind of. It, I'm sure it's fine. It's just, just treat me like an adult and tell me what it is, and don't don't try to fool me with a unique audio experience right. like that. <laughs> right, I feel fine about this otherwise. Like Dolly Parton likes money, but she does good things with it. So okay, yeah. <laughs> That's right. She's. This is all going to go pay for Dollyland, Dollywood, 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 Dollywood. Dollywood. That's the name mm-hmm. of the the the. And more the, vaccines. Great vaccines and community college, baby. That's fine. I'm very happy and with my Spotify. Millions of books for kids. There. Great. Let's just. I wonder what Spotify paid for this. Mm. What's what's the what's the royalty end of this free stick? Anyway, we got a question. Go. <laughs> Podcast at bookriot.com. If you want to leave us, well, whatever feedback you want, um, Galad- Galadriel, young Galadriel conspiracy theories, especially, um, <laughs> Rebecca will comb through them and give us the best ones next week. Ah, uh, yes, I look forward to that. Yeah, bookriot.com slash listen. If Galadriel had been a better elf queen, would Sauron have ever come to power? I think that's the, the question <laughs> on the forums today. Let's let's see what your answers are there. I'll talk to you, uh, I'll talk to you in seven hours when you emerge from that. <laughs> that's right. Uh, Rebecca, we'll talk to you later. Have a good one.